0: Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, we'll read through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Now, this passage is, is all about our world And and, and our role in this world as Christians. That's what this passage is about. This this section of Scripture is all about the the truth of our world and and who we're called to be in our world. And so this morning, because I'm a simple guy, that's how we're going to break it down. We're not going to get fancy. We're going to talk about those three elements, okay? We're going to talk about, let's talk about our world and what Jesus says about our world. Then let's focus on our responsibility. And Jesus calls us to be two things. It says you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. So that's how we're going to attack the passage. If you grabbed a bulletin when you came in, would you open that up? You'll find a yellow sheet of paper. It's some sermon notes. And it's going to be very helpful to you to try to uh, jot these things down as we move along. Uh, And guys, I want to begin this morning um, by talking to you about what this passage says about our world. Now, we read that together and, and many of you, you didn't see it. A lot of you missed it. We just read that passage and Jesus had so much important stuff to say about our world. And I bet you just glossed over it and you missed it. I did the first time too. You see, because Jesus isn't saying it clearly. He's not just saying this is the way that our world is. Rather, Jesus is implying the condition of our world. And he's doing it by talking about our responsibility. And so let's start with what he says, right? First, he says, you are the light uh, or you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, now, if we're going to understand what, what he's saying about our world when he says we're the salt of the earth, then we need to understand what salt's used for. Now, alright Bible scholars, in Jesus' day, and up to just a few hundred years ago, what was the primary use of salt? Preservation, that's right. Preservation and purification. Because basically, uh, you guys know this, meat has bacteria on it, and, and oftentimes in it, and, and so when you apply salt to that meat, Okay, it, it, it actually, it, it neutralizes that bacteria. Okay, maybe I should put more salt in my mouth. What do you think? No, I, I, don't, I don't know if it work there, too. Just just chew on some salt for a while. Uh, but but that's what it does. It, it neutralizes all that bacteria. It, it changes it. Okay, so so we're called to be that we're called to, to, to be an influence. Right. Well, what is that saying about our world? Well, well, it's saying our world is meat. That's what it's saying. What does meat do? Meat naturally decays. That's what it does. It naturally decays. What Jesus is saying, friends, is our world is decaying. Our world is rotting. That's our world. Jesus is saying, that's the condition of the world. Don't think that the world is a wonderful place. Don't think that it's going to get better. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, the world is actually getting worse and worse and worse. Alright? That's a big deal. That's a big deal when he compares our world to a rotting piece of meat. Okay? That's a big deal. Now, the second thing he says to us, he says, you're the light of the world. Now, what does that imply about our world? And of course, it implies that our world is dark, that that, that our world is dark, that our world, though they think, uh, though the world thinks itself to be wise, that that the world is actually uh, uh, foolish, that that, that it, it thinks that it understands everything, but it really doesn't have a clue. And so so listen, if you take the implications of salt and light, And you apply that to to really what Jesus is saying about the world. Here's what we come up with. According to Scripture, our world is dark, it is foolish, it is rotten, it is decaying, it is sinful, and it is without a clue. Now listen to me. If you don't believe that with all of your heart about our world, then you will never function as the believer in Christ that God intends you to be. No, you need to hear me. If you believe anything less about our world, if you think, well no, it's a good place, it's okay, it's getting better. If you think anything less of our world than that definition, then you will never strive to be the man or the woman of God that God calls you to be in Scripture because you'll never see the need for it if you don't understand that our world is indeed decaying and rotting, that it is full of darkness and false wisdom, that it's lost and without a clue, if you don't believe that about the world, then you can never believe what God calls you to be, and you'll never do it in life. This is foundational, church. And I would just submit to you, part of the reason that churches across America aren't full this morning is because we don't believe this about our world anymore. You see, starting about the 1800s, some real smart guys all started studying and philosophy and thinking. It was the age of enlightenment, right? You remember the age of enlightenment went all the way up really through the 20th century. That all these great scholars put their minds together and here's what they believe: They said, listen, education. It's all about education. The more educated we make our world, the, the, the wiser that people will be. And the more educated people are, the more that they know, the more that they'll make better decisions. How's that working? See, because we actually have more college-trained people today than ever before in the history of the world. There are more people that that, that go and, and get secondary educations. We've got more bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and PhDs. And yet I would tell you that our world is actually worse off today than it was a few hundred years ago. Now, why is that? Because our world is meat. Because our world is naturally rotting and decaying. Because our world is darkness... Okay, Because we think that we have the answers. And and, and here's what it comes down to. When you you go under this philosophy and you don't buy into the Bible's definition of who the world is and where the world is, what what you're really saying is that that you believe that, that through education or through politics, you can correct things. And I want to tell you what that's like, okay? You see, education and politics, all they do is they treat the symptoms of the disease. Right? You see, because according to Scripture... Alright? Our world is leprous. Alright? You know leprosy. It's death by inches. The the, the circulation is not making its way out to the limbs. And here's what we're doing, friends. We're putting band-aids and ointment on the limbs and we're wondering why stuff's falling off. We're wondering, why, well, why is this happening? Well, why is that happening? Because education and politics don't, don't cover the real root of the problem, do they? The fact that the world is sinful. And, and, and because the world is sinful, it is decaying and rotting slowly, day by day. It's going to get worse. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe it. It is foundational to whether or not you'll be effective as a Christian. Our world is dark, foolish, rotten, decaying, sinful, and without a clue. Now, understanding that, understanding that should encourage you to understand this next part, which is your purpose in the world. You see, because Jesus says, Now listen, folks, that's the condition of the world, but guess what? I have a plan. I've got a solution for this world, and guess what? It involves all of you. And so he begins and he says, Here's the solution. You are the salt of this earth. You. You're the salt of this earth. So well, what does he mean by that? So let's walk through this. A few things you need to know about salt. Number one, right? Salt preserves and it purifies. That's, that's what it does. Before refrigeration, there was only one way to really preserve and purify meat. Of course, that was salt. Meat has certain germs on it and, and in it. And, and uh, it, it naturally, they, they naturally, those germs cause it to break down or decompose. And, and so salt, when it's applied and it's rubbed into that meat... How many of you want to go out and get a steak after this, right? <clears throat> I do too. It doesn't affect me. All right. But when salt's rubbed into that meat, the bacteria is killed and the infection and the decomposition actually cease. And here's how it works. All right. I'm going to give you a little. This is no extra charge. I want a little biology lesson in case you forgot. Right. All right. In case you. This is how it works. Now, now salt, basically, uh, that salt solution is what we would call hyper osmotic. Anybody in biology remember that? It means really salty. Okay, that's what it means. So so salt is, is more salty than the bacteria. And, and it, it's so salty that the bacteria try to attack it, neutralize it. And the only way to neutralize salt, of course, is to water it down. So the bacteria, they, it exerts all of its water trying to neutralize this salty solution. And guess what? Nothing can live without water. So when the bacteria exerts its water, it dies. And that's why salt purifies things. That's how it works, all right? Now listen, God is telling you and I, in a greater way, in a godlier way, that is how we should be impacting our society. Okay, in a greater way, in a godlier way, we should be rubbing elbows and and rubbing lives with our world in such a way that we're actually ceasing the decay and the rot around us. That means, guys, listen, if if you're a believer in Jesus and you possess the qualities that we've already studied in the Beatitudes, if you're poor in spirit, you're not self-righteous, if you hate and mourn your sin, you you don't try to explain it away, right? If, If you're meek, meaning that you're powerful, but it's under control of the Holy Spirit, if you're hungering and thirsting, thirsting for righteousness if you're if you're merciful if you're pure in heart if you're a peacemaker if you're that kind of person when you walk into a room people change their behavior you walk into a room and suddenly their conversation shifts right all of a sudden they're not going to have the same crude jokes that they used to have right they're not going to use the same type of language that they they used to use maybe they change the radio station when you come in you following me And it's not something that you're forcing. It's just natural. They feel bad about being bad in your presence. It's natural. Guys, that's what it means to be salt. It means that you love Jesus so much and it's so evident in your life that when you're around other people, they feel bad about their sin. And so they stop it. How cool is that? Dude, that's halfway to salvation. That's repentance right there just by being around people. And and once they stop the behavior, then all we're missing is the need to tell them about Jesus, that He's the answer, right? So so we just have to be the men and women of God that He's called us to be. So that's the first part, all right? That's what salt does. Number two, all right? Especially for our day and age, amen. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. Alright, some of you cooks out there, I love you, but please take notice, salt adds flavor. I'm not saying anything about our Wednesday night people, that's not what I mean. I love you, you're great servants, I, I, I appreciate it. But uh, what, what do you mean by that? Here, I want you to write this down, ready? True satisfaction, true satisfaction can only be found in Christ. True satisfaction can only be found in Christ. I'm sorry, I just saw Alan, and I have a little bit of ADD, and I was thinking, for Alan, this version would be, you are the Tony Sashres of the earth. That would be, there you go, alright, alright. I love you, but maybe that's you, I I don't know. True satisfaction can only be found in Christ. What do we mean by that, that, that salt adds flavor? Listen, our world is constantly chasing after pleasure. Our, our, our world is continually seeking after satisfaction. They, 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 it says later here in Matthew that that they're running and chasing around after all these things. They're chasing around after food and what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. It's all about a bigger house, a bigger car, more money for my kids, my 401, you know, K, my 403b. It's all. It, it's a constant pursuit. And when you look at our society, friends, they're dragging, aren't they? We drink more coffee than we've ever drank. We've got energy drinks going out. Why? Because we're so exhausted. Because we never stop. We're constantly pursuing because we've got to have more. Because we're never content. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, listen, no, 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 no Not so with you, friends. You're going you're gonna to truly be content. You're going to truly be content. Why? Because you've found what life is really all about. Right? In Christ, you have found freedom. Amen? In Jesus, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you have literally, your chains have been broken. Your chains are gone, right? You're a new creation. The old person is gone. The new person has come in Christ. You're no longer having to try to earn your way into God's favor, but you're living under a new covenant of grace. And God's grace is covering you daily. You have found real joy. You have found real purpose. You have found true contentment. And hear me, when a person like that walks into a room full of people that are weary. And that are tired. And that are chasing and, and, and falling after everything that the world has to offer. When a person walks into that room and they are genuinely full of Christ... They 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 are full. The flavor of Jesus is is made them complete. You put a complete person with somebody that's chasing after everything in the world, and guess what? People begin to take note, and they say, "What's so different about you? What what's so different? You don't you don't you don't care what year your car is. You don't care how big your house is. What what's so different? About, why aren't you constantly trying to get a promotion? What's so different about you?" It's the flavor of Christ. I'm full. I'm content. Jesus has made me new. He can do the same for you. You follow me? All right. Two more things about salt. I'll share them quickly. And that these are going to seem so silly. I'll tell you, this first one's going to be silly as I'll get out, but it's so important. Ready? Number three salt is meant to be used. All right. Write this down. Salt never does any good sitting on the shelf. Just write that down. Salt never does any good sitting on the shelf. And we need to remember that when we hear the words of Christ here, we need to remember that when Jesus describes the world to us, and He says the world is rotting and decaying. When He says that's what's going on in society, then as Christians we need to remember that. It seems like too many of us today as Christians are sitting on the sidelines. We look at the world and we say, oh no, that's too dirty. I can't get involved with that. I've got to stay back here. I've got got to protect my family from from everything that's going on. And so we've just kind of taken a seat on the sidelines. Friends, how terrible is it that we have the cure? How terrible is it that we have the cure and we're watching the world just rot away? Because here's the language, by the way, in the Greek. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Here's what it says literally. Literally in Greek, it says, you... And only you are the salt of the earth. Did you know that? You and only you. You see, when you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit of God came to live in your life and you were made new. You're a new creation with a new purpose, right? That's how. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have a, a new purpose. Now you're a minister of reconciliation. You are Christ's ambassador, it says now, to this lost and dying world. You and only you are the salt of the earth. You and only you can stop the decay. You and only you can purify the disease. You and only you can cure this problem of bacteria that's eating away at society and the world. But guess what? Salt's never any good if it sits on the shelf. It's not. I want you to think about that. I want you to think, Lord, am I, am I out there? Am I in the world? Am am I impacting? I'm not saying of the world. I'm saying, am I in the world? Am I making a difference in people's lives? That's what we're talking about. It's huge. All right. Number four. Number four. And again, maybe this seems silly to you, but I want you to understand that salt's a common substance. See, here's, here's the problem. A lot of Christians, they get to a passage like this, right? And they go, yeah, amen, preacher. That's for super Christians. I'm not one of them. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, pastor. I don't have a big a big super C on my chest. I don't wear a cape. This kind of life. This is for people like Peter and Paul. This is for like the deacons and the pastors. they are these kind of people, not me. I can't be the salt of the earth. There's no way that's for super Christians. Well, guess what? If Jesus intended this passage to be for super Christians, do you think he would have used salt, which is one of the most common substances on the face of the planet? If, 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 if this was only for super-Christians, would Jesus not have said, You are the diamonds of the earth. You, you are the gold of the earth. You're the platinum and the uranium of the earth. That's who you are, right? But Jesus didn't say that. He said you, right? And think about His followers. When, when you hear about them in, in the book of Acts, what did they say about His followers? They, they said these, these common, ordinary, uneducated men. That's how they talked about them. His followers, they were just ordinary folk. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. Jesus looked at those people and he says, "You, you common, ordinary men, you and only you are the salt of the earth. You and only you, not not just Paul. You don't know him yet, by the way. Not just you, Peter. You and you common people, you are going to be the salt of the earth. It's a big deal. We've got to remember that. Okay. Now, what about the light?" What about the light? Let's talk about that a little bit. Just two things here for light and we'll be done, alright? We are supposed to be the light of the world. Okay? What does light do? Number one, light helps us see the true condition of things. Light helps us see the true condition of things. Now, we're going to have a little Bible lesson this morning, okay? You said, I thought we were already doing that. We're going to go back in the Old Testament, alright? In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God delivers His people from Egypt. You may have thought Moses did that. It wasn't Moses. God used Moses. It was God. God, through His power, for His glory, delivered His people out of the hands of Pharaoh. and He did it miraculously. You remember? What was the last big deal? He, he parts the Red Sea. The army is swallowed up. The people celebrate. They burst into spontaneous song. I don't know if you've ever done that. I, I did. I, you should do it in the shower by yourself. I'm just saying. <laughs> If you sing like me, that's where you should do it. All right. Uh, Burst into spontaneous song. God's working, is doing this great deal. Okay. Well, what happens then? Then the people are like, All right, Moses, we're here in the middle of the desert. What do we do? And God said, It's not about Moses, it's about me. And He sends this great cloud, right? And it's it's called a pillar cloud. A pillar means it's really big, it's really tall, it's the biggest fat daddy cloud you've ever seen. And, And during the day, it goes before them. It's not a stationary cloud. It goes before them, and where the cloud goes, hello, you're supposed to follow, right? Why? Because it's so hot in the desert, if you don't follow the cloud, you're going you're gonna to melt, alright? I mean, you're going to be sunburned and fried, and you're done. You're going to die. So, so he, they, they follow the cloud, and the pillar cloud of God leads them their entire time in the desert. And at night, this pillar cloud does something really cool. At night, it would glow. It would glow with, with, with this fire. It was a symbol of the presence of God. That God was with them. That God had never left them. That God had never forsaken them. Right? God was their light. New Testament. Because of all that God did during the wilderness wanderings. New Testament. The Jews celebrated it. And they remembered it. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Or the Feast of Booths. And, and so they're celebrating this very feast. When, G, when Jesus is in Jerusalem. They're celebrating the Feast of Booths. Now, here's what they would do. They would go out and they they cut down some little trees and limbs and they would make a tent or a booth and they would live in it for a week. Okay? You say, it's not comfortable in church. It's too hot. It's too... Hot. Whatever. They, they lived out in a booth for a week. Okay? Suck it up. I love you. Um, Alright. The pews are hard. I know. That's why I stand up. Um, Alright. So, so, here you go. So, they lived in a booth. They lived in a booth for a week. And during that week, they would also do something really cool. They they lit a menorah. Now, when you see a menorah, you think of one about this size, right? Okay, pretty small little deal, you know, little Jewish thing. Okay, all right. So they would light a menorah, and it's believed this menorah was so big. I mean, it was it was it was the original McDonald's supersize me menorah, right? I mean, it was ridiculous. It was so large that when it when it was fully lit up, they say at night the entire city of Jerusalem would glow. I and I just got to think. How intimate is that worship, right? Can you imagine you're celebrating this great event of when God was with you and you're thinking back to this pillar cloud and all the stories you've heard from Grandma and Grandpa and Peepaw and Meemaw and, and, and all about how great God was and, and you look up and the whole sky is just a glow. You know, that's got to be a pretty cool worship service. And it's the end of that worship service when scholars believe Jesus stands up, stands up in the temple or near the temple, and they put out the menorah and the city's no longer aglow and it's gone black. And they think it's right there that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. He says, listen, you don't have to think back to a time that the light was with you. You don't have to think back to a time that God was with you. I am the light of the world. I am here. Me right now. Me. And, and listen, folks, when Jesus came, he did something. When Jesus came and and the light of the world came, He did something. He helped us see the true condition of things. You see, He stepped into this really religious environment where these Pharisees were thought of as the great teachers of the law. And and, and they were so self-righteous, but everybody looked to them as if they were the authority on how to get to heaven. And they looked to these people and they thought, yeah, that's how you get to be with God. You've got to be self-righteous. You've got to earn it. It's kind of like you ever been on a camping trip and had a flashlight at night in the tent? Right? At night in the tent, that flashlight seems so bright, doesn't it? Well, the Pharisees seem so bright. Their flashlights were so strong. But have you ever left that flashlight on until daylight? Flashlights don't work real, real well in the day, do they? It's kind of puny. And that's what happened, man. Jesus came and He stepped into the world and He says, I'm the light of the world. And when, when the true light came, man, the Pharisees were seen for what they were. They were just a bunch of religious phonies. And, and Jesus showed that to us. He showed us the truth. It's like uh, Hope and I, before we had children, which I can't really remember that phase of life. Can, I, I, don't, I, I know that there was a time we were married before we had kids, but I don't remember what it was like, okay? Okay. Uh, so before we had kids, after 9-11, about six months after, they were trying to get people to come back to New York. And uh, so they're offering these great discounts in hotels. That's the only way we can afford it. So uh, I was a youth pastor, right? So we, we go to New York. And uh, one of the things you do when you're in New York, you have to go to NBC Studios, right? And you're supposed to tour the studios. And, and we're there in the morning. It's, it is it is like 41 degrees or something Really, really ridiculous. It was so cold. And we're standing outside the Today Show. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I don't care about being on TV. But you're having to wait for your tour. And so then we go on the tour. And, and here's the deal. I'll never forget this, guys. We actually go and we look at the actual stages that they use for, for NBC. Okay? And, and so we, we, I, I think one of them was like NBC Sports or some other. So, so here's the deal. But they were going through this transition from standard definition to high definition. So a a couple of the stages had had been fully high-def converted. They had real metal and aluminum and wood and actual TV. I mean, they were gorgeous. I don't know how much they spent on the set, but it was crazy good. And then we went over to the last stage, and they said, this one hasn't been converted yet. This is our standard definition set. And they actually let us walk in, and they said, you see how that looks like, like metal? And they go, well, that's actually just duct tape. But guess what? In standard definition, you couldn't tell the difference between duct tape and real metal. Well, you know what? When Jesus came, it was like high definition. Jesus came to show us the true condition of things. And that's what we're called to do too, friends. We're supposed to live such a life that people can see the difference. That they can really see what God looks like and what man looks like. And so I just I would ask you in love this morning, do you do that to others? When, when, when people see you, do they, do they see Jesus? Do they see high definition? Do they see what real righteousness is? Or are they just looking at that old standard definition, self-righteousness? You following me? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And finally, I would just say this about light, okay? <clears throat> light guides us out of darkness. That was the big part of the pillar cloud, as it was their guide. Light guides us out of darkness. Think about this saying, right? We say it all the time. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. What does that mean? It means I can see. The, the, the end is near. I'm headed that way, right? You hear all the stories. Someone's, someone's you know, they, they, they come back to life. What do they say? They say, I saw the light, right? I saw the light. It's always about light. Light leads us. It guides us, right? That's what it does. That's so what it does. If you've ever flown on an airplane at night, you are so thankful for those little lights on the ground that helped that pilot find his way down. You following me? It's a guide. It's a guide. And, and, and that's what we're talking about here too. Listen, man's wisdom, man's wisdom has gotten us nowhere. And, and the problem with man is not that they need more wisdom. They don't need more light. We don't need more education. You know what the problem is with man? We need a new nature that loves light and hates darkness. That's a problem. That's what we're here for, guys. Our job is not just to educate people. Our job is to tell them that they need a new nature that loves Jesus and hates sin. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it means. Now, let me do these last things and we'll tie this up. I want to tell you why this message is so important, okay? We'll do this together down here on your level so that you have to lean over the person behind you to try to see the short pastor, okay? Just deal with uh, I have to deal with being short. You have to deal with me being short too, Okay. <clears throat> Why it's important. Number one, we were born again for this. You've heard that phrase before. I was born for this. I was born for this. Well, guess what? According to scripture, you were born again for this. God put his spirit in you so that you could be a new creation so that you could be the salt and light of the world. That's God's purpose for you. In Christ Jesus, you're meant to be his ambassador. That is your purpose. That's why you were born again. You thought you were born again to go to heaven, didn't you? That's just part of it. That's just part of it. We're born again so we'll be children of God and be a part of the kingdom of God. But we're also born again so that we can help usher in the kingdom of God. You were born again for this. For this. This is your purpose. Number two. Alright? Hiding our identity is ridiculous and foolish. What does Jesus say? He says, listen, you don't light your lamp. You don't light a lamp and stick it under a bowl, do you? By the way, that's humor from our Lord, okay? I'm not saying He wasn't funny. I think He was, I think originally, if you heard it in His, this was funny stuff, alright? He says, listen, it's pretty stupid to light a lamp and then to hide it, isn't it? He's not saying, talking about a lampshade. He's saying you light a lamp and actually put a bowl over it and you can't see any light. He's going, that's pretty dumb, isn't it? It's pretty foolish, isn't it? Christians, hear me. I love you. But when we walk around in this world and we're afraid to shine for Christ, we're being really stupid. We're being pretty foolish when we refuse to be the men and women of God that He's created us to be. He made you new so that you could shine for Him and for His glory. So don't be afraid of what people think about you. But I just don't know what they're going to say. Who cares what they say? I say that in love. It is not your job to convert them. It is your job to share Christ with them. It is His job to convert them. You have to let your light shine. You were made to be a city on a hill. You were made to be the and the only light of the world. You're His ambassador. If we don't do it, who will? Who will? Number three. If we are not salt and light, we are useless. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? His response is nothing. You cannot even throw it on the dung pile. It's useless. It's useless. Friend, I don't know about you, but one of my greatest desires in life is to be used by God. What about you? Here's why. I'm just going to tell you through experience. The very first time I got to teach the Word of God, nothing compared. The very first time I I, I had the ability and the privilege to be used by God to share Christ with somebody. The very first time somebody accepted Christ in my presence, I was done. I was an addict. I was hooked. Nothing compares to being used by God for which you were created to to be used. And it saddens me today that the majority of Christians in America haven't experienced that. The majority of the Christians in America don't know what it's like to be used by God. That's sad. This is is why He's created us. And listen, if we're not doing that, what's our purpose really? What we're doing, I'll tell you, what we're doing is we're living with one foot in the world and we're trying to live with one foot in the kingdom and the problem is you're not actually doing anything for either people group. (laughs) Alright? Where I come from, if you straddle in the middle of the road, you're roadkill. And we don't eat roadkill where I come from. Maybe where you come from, where I come from, it's useless. It's useless. Don't be useless, okay? So, how, how, do, how do we take this and, and what do we do with it? Just three things and, and uh, just application and then you can go home, I promise. Number one. Number one, based on what we talked about this morning, I want you to remember the world's condition. Remember the world's condition. What, what is it? Is everything Okay? The world's okay, isn't it? It's going to get better, right? We're going to get a new president in someday and he's going to change it, right? Congress, they're going to do it for us, right? Man, listen, global economy, that's what it's all about. Global economy, it's going to be fine. The world is rotten and decaying. The world is rotten and decaying. That's the truth of Scripture. Have a biblical worldview, folks. If you know that it's rotten and decaying, the second thing you have to know is your purpose. I want you to remember that. Number two, remember your calling. You and you alone are the salt and the light of the world. You and you alone, if you're in Christ. This is your job. Welcome. It's a new job. This is job training this morning, okay? Everybody got it? <laughs> Alright, what do I have to do? I gotta go shine for Jesus. How do I do that? Spend time with Jesus. That's a good place to start. Alright? The more time you spend with Jesus, the more that you love Jesus, the more that you'll go out and naturally shine for Jesus. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science, folks. Love Jesus, follow him, all the rest happens on its own. Just do that. You'll naturally have opportunities to share your faith. Number 3. Impact the people around you for Christ. Salt is useless unless it's applied. It's pointless to have light if you don't flip the switch. It's pointless. So what do you need to do? You need to impact the people around you for Christ, okay? Now here is what I believe with all of my heart as I study the Bible. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. It says in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What that says to me is God's plan for you is that you begin to impact people where you live. Where you live. Where do you live right now? Okay? If you're in Elgin, then you start in Elgin. If you're in College Station, then you start in College Station, right? If you live in Blue, then you're going to start in Blue, right? You're going to start where you live. That is your Jerusalem. You start rubbing elbows with people. You start rubbing in that stall. You start being Jesus to them where they are. God will take care of the rest, okay?